What does healing mean to you? I think the deepest call within the Christian life is in reconciliation. Because in that act of unconditional love, you are going to walk into some situations where you have no idea how to love a person. And, and reconciliation is that extra spiritual calling to, like, you've got to find a way. Christ found a way. the mental health podcast raising unanswered questions sharing unanswered prayers we are faith-based peer-led story-driven and stigma breaking i am tony roberts i am eric riddle and we are revealing voices Five O, the big five O, the big five O. Yes, Revealing Voices turns fifty, um, fifty episodes, and as we've round down our period of time when Eric will be our co-host, um, we wanted to go out with a with a bang and also some influential figures in 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 Eric's life and faith and and mental health. We had his parents, Bruce and Sally. Someone who's listened to all our episodes has said that was his favorite. So oh, we're, wow. we're very grateful for their contribution. And um, this episode is Brandon Anders. Tell us a little bit about Brandon. Well, Brandon was actually on season one. He's a really good friend of mine. He, he's an author. He lives here in Columbus. So he was here in the studio with us here in Studio E. And... You and Brandon are really two of the most influential men in my life, spiritually speaking. And we go into it in the show, but essentially the last two really intimate small groups I've been in in my life were led by first Brandon and then by you. So to have the three of us in a room together was really very special, and I thought the energy and just the topics that came up were really really a great way to, to finish episode 50 here. So enjoy our time with Brandon and Eric and Tony. Yeah, and we're, we're going to wrap up at the end. This is kind of a longer interview, so uh, hold on to the end. We'll have some final thoughts about the, uh, the four years we've been together here on the show. Thanks. Brandon Andrus is in the studio for episode 50. Great you could be aboard, Brandon. I am here. <laughs> we are not watching IU basketball. No, it's good. Man, I tell you what, it's so good to be with you guys, especially on this uh, farewell, the farewell episode. Tour. Yeah, the farewell tour. Uh, such an honor. Uh, I think it's been three years. Three years. Yeah, so... Yeah, three years. So I'm super excited to be back. And I see you guys all the time anyway. So it's not like that, yeah. you know. <laughs> but it is good to be back on the pod. We, we had Brandon on when he released his third book, an excellent book. 
Yep. Beauty in the Wreckage. Yeah, so first officially published book, Beauty in the Wreckage, and yeah. then, of course, uh, a fourth one now, which is my second published book, which is a novel. So we can get into that later, but yeah, yeah so Beauty in the Wreckage came out in 2018, and I thought I was, I always think that I'm done. I never think that I'm going to write another one, and I, I probably said this the last time that I met right. with you guys, but to me, writing a book is equivalent to what I would imagine me training for a full marathon would be, it sounds horrible. It sounds torturous. And I have no interest in doing it. And every time that I think, like if somebody says, hey, are you going to write a book? I'm like, I have no interest in writing a book. And then, and then all of a sudden, there's the idea. The idea explodes. You guys both know this. And then all of a sudden, the energy just it comes from nowhere. The passion, the energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of the process for me writing, <clears throat> whenever I have an idea... I'll have this massive um, explosion of thoughts and ideas and I'll write it all down, but then I'll just go set it aside for months and I won't even look at it. I won't think about it. Then I'll come back to it and revisit all of it. It, Mainly the reason I come back to it after that period of time is to see if I have the energy for it Mm -hmm. because I'm like, how are you going to write something that is that labor intensive and takes that much passion and energy sustained and I have to decide whether I have it still. And so for, you know, this novel, it took probably three months of it sitting without me touching it before I came back to it. You have the time to read it and be like, what was I thinking? Or Well, that's exactly, that, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, because <laughs> sometimes you may come back to an idea and be like, I don't know what I was thinking at that moment. And, you know, and then fortunately, at least a few times now, I've really been fortunate enough just to be able to take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. So, Brandon's a hiking buddy of mine. I'm trying to get him to come down to Kentucky with me in April mm-hmm. on the Chateauet Trace Trail near uh, Cumberland Falls area, Cumberland River. Mm-hmm. There's a section that pretty much goes parallel to the river. Pretty nice. excited about that. I'll be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I talked to some buddies a couple of days ago about Tecumseh Trail. Yeah. Have you done that? I've done portions of it, and it's interestingly oh no no i'm thinking of knobstone i haven't been on tecumseh no tecumseh begins in martinsville basically yeah yeah and then i think that's like 42 miles but you can do a little over 30 and you wind up at yellowwood lake oh yeah that's right yeah cool great well last time you were with us you had yet to conceive of your book that is now out uh, right. But you were not far from um, reaching that point, right? Yep. What drove you to such madness? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think that that's what it is. I don't know what if it's that way for every author. It, if you don't start off with madness, you will reach madness at some point during the process, I'm sure. I'll tell you what, for me with this particular book... And just to be clear, yep. Brandon has gone from a non-fiction space into fiction, and within fiction, this is very much in the allegory space, yep. which is not something that you you see a lot in no. book publishing these days. It was accidental. 
Um, I think that I've told you before, I was just mowing my grass one day and all of a sudden four swipes in, I just have this vision kind of, I say vision, it wasn't anything super miraculous, but I just saw a really simplistic symbol of like an oval or a circle with a fracture in it. And I thought, okay, we've got an island and we have people that are fractured and broken between each other. And it it just, it really started off very simplistically. And that's, you know, kind of where it began in June of 2019. So, you know, of course I stopped mowing, start typing frantically on my phone, taking notes. All of my neighbors probably think that I'm super addicted to my phone, but I, uh, took all the notes and I I think I probably took notes for two or three days and that was June of 2019 and I let it sit until around Halloween of 2019. So July, August, September, October, four months. And I came back to it and I'm like, you know what? I'm really loving the idea of this book. And so immediately I just get out a notebook and I start doing everything from uh, synopsis, character sketches, character arcs, you know, generally a timeline, where's this place, what's its name, who are the people, what what's their story, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so for one month, I just did notes and note taking and kind of sketching out what I was going to do. And then um, Thanksgiving of 2019, I started. I imagined it taking probably about a year to write. It ended up close to 90,000 words, and as you guys probably can imagine, 90,000 words is not a massive book, but it's a big book. It's it's the biggest in terms of word count that I've ever done, and that would take quite a bit of time, especially to write it, edit it, kind of refine it, and because of COVID, all of a sudden I'm at my house all the time, waking up early in the mornings before work, writing for three to four hours on the weekends, writing eight to 10 hours on Saturday and Sunday. So it's like my, cause I wasn't going anywhere. So my schedule in the amount of time that it took to write, it went from probably a year down to about five or six months. Mm-hmm. So the madness, um, and it really started driving me crazy to an extent because I, (laughs) so it is an allegory, right? So let let me back up. So there's the story, the surface level story that I wanted to write something really engaging, super compelling, a page turner that people got to the end of the chapter and they're like, I got to keep going. Below the surface, there's another story that if you are adept enough to pick up on it, you'll understand that there's a story below the surface. The third level, which I I don't advertise, and I'm only telling you guys so maybe we can talk more about it, is it was autobiographical in the sense that there were a lot of things that I needed to work through personally that I had been carrying along for years that I had been dealing with. Were you feeling that when you were (coughs) mowing, or did that personal part of it come later? That was not the initial idea right then at the moment that I was mowing, but while I was taking the notes, the idea of the allegory popped, Mm -hmm. so I knew that there would be two layers to it, but then as I started developing the characters, I'm like, there's an opportunity here to do a lot of things, and I thought, I can't just write a book that's a surface-level book 
because I like to think a lot, and I thought there's an opportunity to tell another story even deeper that I, I don't even have to share with anybody. It's it's something that I can work through, and so there's a lot of there's three three characters in particular that I that are really different from one another that embody different times of my life and where I was and what I'm thinking and what I was going through, and I think it was this interplay between these characters that really kind of helped me work through some of the issues, but then by the time I get to the end of the book, it's like there was a full release, something where I could let, and I'm being super mysterious and enigmatic here because everything in the book is a spoiler. So it's like, if I tell you one thing, then it's gonna ruin it for you. But it, it was interesting because everybody has their own way of therapy and some people are good just to go off on their own and have therapy. Some people need to go to therapists. Some people need to go to doctors. And for me, it was writing a book. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it's really bizarre, but when I finished it, I was like, I just worked through everything that I have ever dealt with and I walked away from it and I'm done. Mm -hmm. And there was just this release. Yeah. When I talked to you during that time, though, you were at, at a bit of an emotional... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, right, because while I was writing it, it, it was like I was, <laughs> if it's possible, I was embodying <laughs> all these, the three characters all at one time, at one time in my life. And it's like, my head was, at night I couldn't sleep, there was anxiety, my head's, my mind's racing, I couldn't get rid of the characters, I'm constantly right. thinking about it, yeah. my heart's palpitating, I thought I was having a heart attack, the doctor's like, you have anxiety. So, I, I, it was necessary, I think, in some ways, and it really, I think, helped me mentally, even though I've carried a little bit of the anxiety forward with me to this point, and I'm still doing some things, you know, as we talked about earlier, we can discuss, but yeah, I think mentally there was a lot of release. I think emotionally there was a huge release, and I think there's still a little bit that I'm carrying with me in terms of the psychosomatic part of it, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard it said that nonfiction is telling the truth as if it were a lie. Fiction is lying as if it were true <laughs> so yeah well i can tell you that the one thing that i learned because as you said eric i'm not i i spent thir 13 years up until that point just doing nonfiction writing and so i never imagined writing fiction but one of the feelings that i had is I, i've been feeling for a while is that nonfiction, you write what you know so it's it's intellectual and i've noticed especially with a lot of the divide that we have in our country, the ideological divide that we have in our country, whenever you talk about any idea, people are very quick to dismiss because it already doesn't align with what they, they believe, right. or they're antagonistic and not willing to consider or contemplate an idea. And nonfiction goes there immediately. And it's subversive. Uh, fiction, can you, you can introduce ideas where people are invested in characters, the, the skin, the blood, the, the you know, narrative. the the heart and soul, the yeah. color, the, the nuance, and people are invested in, you can get away with 
introducing ideas that are way more subversive. And I thought that to me is way more compelling of an idea because, and you guys know, cause you've read it, but there are a lot of ideas that I've brought forth in the book, a lot of big ideas. And I think that it works. I mean, I think it's not preachy. It's not judgy. It's not, it, it, it's very gentle, but and in loving. And I enjoyed taking the creative element something that I really kind of abandoned for so many years because I love creative writing, but I just never really had an idea of doing anything creatively. So it was kind of a breath of fresh air in some sense to be able to take something creative and introduce a lot of ideas into it. So it was great. When I think of your book, and I, I read it, I mean, that was like right even before it came out. Yeah. Right. For me, what resonates is just the, the story of the prisoner Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get too deep into it. The book's name is What Can't Be Hidden. <laughs> I guess we should have said that. Hey, Brandon wrote a book. What the heck is it called? But anyway, the, the idea of a prisoner. Right. Yeah. Just the character development around the prisoner and the people she interacted with and the amazing influence she had on people from prison. I don't like giving. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I, one, I really like that. Yeah, one of the things I can say about it that's not giving too much away is that <clears throat> one of the ideas that I go after is this idea of freedom, and sometimes we suppose that freedom is um, the ability to do whatever we want whenever we want, and you know, even in the United States, we operate with this idea of freedom, but yet in some ways we're really kind of enslaved or imprisoned. And there's this juxtaposition of someone who can be imprisoned, but yet experience profound freedom. And so I like that, like I said, the the juxtaposition of the two, because, you know, and I think that there's some realization in the characters of at least one character where it's like, man, I've lived my whole life existing in freedom, but I've really been imprisoned, and this... Yeah, and then to be outside of prison (laughs) and be interacting with the person inside of prison and to witness that sense of freedom from behind bars is... I mean, it's just a really good interaction. They're a very strong relationship that builds throughout the book. Yeah, that was fun. One of the other meta narratives in it is the idea of peace. And I kind of do the same thing with it. I mean, I really wanted to explore freedom and peace because uh, those words are words we throw around really frequently. And I thought, I don't know if we really have a really clear idea on what either one of the words are. And so what, what does it mean to really be free and how to experience real peace? So I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to give away too much of the book, but those are a couple of the big ideas. Given that... I'm going to ask some open-ended questions so that you can decide. Come on, Tony. I just I just want to do yes and no questions. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm going to let you decide what can't be hidden, what can and cannot be hidden. Okay. Um, is this like Mad Libs or something? This is the perfect Revealing Voices book. <laughs> what so can't be hidden? Tell, tell us one reaction you've gotten from someone. Okay. That when you read it or heard it or however you received it, you thought that person really gets what I wrote. Yeah. Can you think of can you think of re- a reaction like that? Yeah, I mean, there, 
fortunately, there have been a lot of people who generally understand what I'm trying to say. I think there's only been a couple of people who've completely nailed it, who really like. Does it understand the three levels? Of, well, not of not. Books. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some of those people, but. But I think that there there are only two people that I feel like have gotten back with me and said, here's what you're doing. And so that's gratifying. But I, I think even as I was developing it, it was really gratifying in the group that was close to me reading it, just getting the feedback real time on the development of it and listening to their reaction. And I'll have to tell you that the group of people that I have appreciated the most and shout out to teachers, but I've had different levels of teachers read it from retired English teachers to current English teachers and other teachers in school. And they are the ones who absolutely understand what I'm doing. And and it's so gratifying. Like whenever they, because they understand symbolism and metaphor and they understand allegory. One person in particular wrote me a note, retired teacher. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal encouragement. Because I don't, you know, let's be honest here. You guys have written books. It's and and I, no offense to any woman who's given birth to a baby, but there are some parallels here. You are gestating an idea for a long period of time, and whenever you finally give birth to it, you hope that the doctor doesn't slap it and say, this is an ugly baby, (laughs) right? Right? I mean, there's a vulnerability of taking something that you've been holding on to for a long time that you love dearly and giving it to the world. Getting back to just my relationship with Brandon and and with you, Tony. Mm-hmm. With Brandon, I had just finished my book, and a friend said, you ought to talk to this guy I know. He is looking for a publisher. His name is Brandon Andrus, and so Brandon and I met for coffee. That was probably 2009 or 2010. Mm-hmm. And we talked... And Brandon introduced me to the Living Room Church, which Brandon was helping lead as an elder at that time. And he's like, and also with the church, you could, you know, come on a Wednesday night to our confession group. For me, I was like, that is about the coolest thing I've ever heard. Let's do a confession group. And so it was almost like the same week that I went to the first service at the Living Room. I was in the middle of this, you know, candlelit room, <laughs> like, starting at 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night, actually, like, confessing sin. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it, and it, it really transformed me. I, I was going, it was post my divorce, but it was still very fresh. I mean, this was before I even knew Jen. Yeah, Right. yeah, yeah. And... Just tremendous healing. In fact, the core verse from James references mm-hmm. healing through confession. And we were in that group together. It was probably five years. Yeah. We did that together. It was a long time. And near the end of that is when Tony and I started Faithful Friends. Oh, yeah. 2014. Oh, yeah. So there was really like a passing of the torch for me of these 
very core formative small group experiences going from a confession group to a mental health and faith group with Tony and then really just the thought of healing through all that for me is just it's it's really transformed my life so I mean as far as my spiritual development you know you two guys both are like oh I feel the same so I I do appreciate that that's one of the reasons I want you on the show well and I appreciate that and I think about that time and I just think about really a lot of the pain that people are going through today, looking at our current situation compared to confession group when we first started, in many ways, the one key factor in the confession group, I mean, there, there's a lot of a lot of things that were really good about it. I mean, going to this dilapidated building and going to this upper room that's kind of nestled off into a little alcove and lighting some candles and having a little red wine with some homemade molasses bread and <laughs> sitting around, you know, it's like the, the, the ambiance just alone is amazing, but more important, it was community. It was the shared journey. It was people who are walking alongside each other and carrying one another. And so the common theme that we all share, and for you being in the middle of it between myself and Tony, is that you've just had different people that you've walked the journey with during that time. And so the the sadness for me is looking at all of the hurting people today and realizing what was stripped away over the last two years was community, mm. right? And so all of a sudden you're ripping people open and exposing these big wounds that people have and they're holding them in isolation. And to me, that's the greatest sadness. I mean, there, there's a lot of sadness about COVID from lives, lives lost and right. people who are suffering, you know, just the after effects. I'm suffering from tinnitus, tinnitus, however you say it, mm-hmm. post-COVID. And, mm-hmm. But man, I tell you what, just the collective effect of lack of community and isolation has to be one of the greater unmeasurable things that we've had to deal with. And and, and we've heard that suicide rates have gone up and right. people dealing with anxiety and depression has skyrocketed. You know, to me, it just affirms maybe at a very surface level and we can, it, it can go deeper, but at a surface level, the necessity of having good people that you're journeying with mm. and, and it can go deeper than that. Mm-hmm. But at a minimum, we, we've got to get back into that. So now that raises the question, and I just did an interview for my book launch that raised the same question, which is, is it possible post-pandemic, post-January 6th, post all this, to reclaim community? Yeah. What do you think? What do I think? (laughs) Well, I think what will, at the very least, what we have to start doing is making the most of pseudo-community. You know, like in Faithful Friends, we had a period where we had to go on Zoom, and it about was the death of our group, but we made it work. And now we're doing a small group at my house that can only get from six to eight people, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, churches are now asking themselves these questions. I have pastor friends, one in Knoxville, Tennessee, who, Les, he's been on our show, yeah. Les Rust. Right. They're in a, a very hot spot, and, you know, they've they've voted as it wasn't just him, but, you know, they voted to 
step back again Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. meet virtually. I think something has to be present. Now, the problem is that it will never take the place of person-to-person community, right? It's kind of like, at a very minimum, it may be the one thing that just keeps people above water. But, man, I mean, we've suffered with missing smiles and hugs and fist bumps. and I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle on that. So with both of you guys, really my first experience was a cup of coffee with a guy I've never met before. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So at the beginning, that's not like... A big that's not that That's not community there. Right. To, to start, that's having a cup of coffee. That's, right. I don't know who you are. Let's have a conversation, right? My concern is can we get to a point where we can really have that openness to invite people into community? Mm. I, I don't think the issue right now is as much community as it is how how do we invite the other the unknown the stranger into our midst because mm-hmm. we're, we're, we've just gotten so into like these are my people i trust you we'll go to coffee together mm-hmm. you know what i mean you're, you're not inviting that, that new that new life you're, you're not you know exposing yourself to some stranger who is going to invite you to a confession group mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. going to you know, meet Eric. Someone. Let's be honest. Nobody's inviting you to a confession group. <laughs> Nobody is. There's, there's just no one doing it. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it, it is a very rare thing. I think we'll get back to those places, but I, I, I think, you know, maybe for the issues that we're currently having, it's kind of like the "what about Bob" deal. You know, it's like baby steps, mm. and m- maybe that's just the best that we can do right now. And maybe it's just to take a step. And I, I, I think about this because, you know, inevitably there could be somebody listening who's just like, man, I've been isolated for so long and I've just been struggling and just dealing with like dark thoughts and like a yeah. massive black hole in my chest. You know, and I think that person's a long way from just going up to a stranger, you know? Mm. And, I, and I think what what's... Because I always think about this for myself. I'm not being comedic whenever I mention what about Bob, I really do think, I mean, there's this idea in psychology called successive approximation, and I, it's kind of slowly getting yourself or leading yourself to the goal. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, maybe maybe that's what we've got to do, because we've been so terrified, rightly or wrongly, we don't have to assign any sort of value to it. We can say, this is where we've been. Now, how do we reintegrate? And I think that that's the real key. And so for some people, it may be a lot faster than others. We have to start asking our question what that first step looks like. And for those of you listening, we've been talking about Brandon's book, What Can't Be Hidden. We just we just can't tell you <laughs> because he doesn't want to reveal something that you need to learn for yourself. <laughs> Oh, sure. (laughs) But no, I mean, the other and, you know, trusting our own and, you know, I mean, these are all themes that that appear in in your book. You're familiar with the author Timothy Keller? Yeah. Um, Oh, yes. So did you see... The Things They Carried is the only book I've... No, I'm thinking of Tim O'Brien. Okay. Keller, uh, no, Timothy Keller wrote The Reason for Faith and 
uh, New York City prodigal God, <laughs> yep. PCA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's broader than than that narrow definition. But there was recently a um, Facebook post he put out with a Stephen Colbert clip mm-hmm. with a poet. Did you see that? Mm-mm. Okay, so basically the poet, he was, uh, Keller was reaching far beyond his comfort zone or the comfort zone of his followers and picking out a blurb from Stephen Colbert and this poet that I didn't know was a young poet. And she was applauding Colbert for honestly and openly talking about his faith in in culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know on yeah. his show and they, and they and they carried on this conversation about it and Keller made the point that if we are going to discover a way forward and that and that was the language he used which mm-hmm. i think is a similar uh, phrase that the methodist church used for a while it's going to be where artists and politicians and theologians and, you know, business leaders uh, find some uh, common, maybe not even common ground, but civil ground mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to discuss something of, of worth that is of, of value. I, I almost said about faith, but it doesn't even have to be explicit. But what you're saying is, is that there's this idea of people from a broad a very diverse group of people coming together for the purpose of community. Is that what you're saying? And showing the world that there can be at least civil conversation among people who would normally be put in very narrow Yeah. Well, that's a crazy idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a way out there idea. Okay, on that note, I need to take a bathroom break. (laughs) <laughs> we're back <laughs> we're back so you know what tony you you were talking about this idea of people coming together diverse backgrounds and it, it just it had me thinking and i, I just thought on one hand, it, it, it's amazing to me, like this longing that we have, that we know inherently down deep in our soul, that there's something good and valuable about a diverse group of people coming together. And I know that not everybody believes that, but it's like somehow you heard that and it sparked something in what one person was discussing on a talk show to an author, pastor, preacher, whatever, to you hearing it and being engaged by it, to me hearing it and getting excited about it. And it's like... I think that there's something within us that down deep we know. We know that the ideological divide and the way that we're just beating the crap out of each other is not the best. And beyond that, what, what really excites me is the idea that because I've, and I've mentioned this on every single podcast that I go on, and I might as well mention it on yours, but there's the show that I watched that was transformative to me. It's the guy, it's Morgan Spurlock, and he was the guy that did Supersize Me. Yeah. Did you ever watch Supersize yeah. Me? The guy that did 30 Days oh, yes, of Eden. Yeah, right, yes, right, right. right. Well, so that's what he's known yes. for, but he, do you know what I'm going to say? And his, Maybe. So he did a 
television show based on the idea of 30 days. And what he did was rather than him be in the show, he took two people from complete opposite ends of the spectrum and had them live together for 30 days. So what it meant was, like, one person would go in and live with that person's family, vice versa. So there was one episode where they took a United States border agent who is anti-immigration, who will arrest anybody on the spot, whose job it is to do that, right? And they had him live with a a family that was in the United States illegally, and, and live with them for 30 days. And so you can imagine, like already from the ideological end of the spectrum, you have two different opposing ideas. But here's what happened. As the 30 days go on, first it starts off as you would imagine. The ideological debates, the hurt feelings, the tears, the frustrations. But as time went on, they started hearing each other's stories, Mm -hmm. their feelings, their emotions, where they came from, what they aspired to, what their dreams were, because they sat down at a table and had dinner together, because then they were in a room one-on-one and just discussing, and it's like they were hearing the hurts and the pains and the longings. Yeah, and they were in proximity to each other. Proximity, and all of a sudden... By the end of the show, and, and it's not this way all the time, but at a mi- here we go. At a minimum, at the end of the shows, it fostered humanity. Just just at a really basic level. Sometimes it elicited life change, life changing decisions on occupation and what they believed. Mm-hmm. But at a minimum, they started seeing each other as humans, still having maybe different ideas and different opinions but it changed the way they related to one another. And I was like, I, I think that we just, can, can I just say that I, I just don't think that we have enough visionaries who help us see possibilities. We, we just don't have enough people that have enough vision to inspire people that it doesn't have to be this way. And to me, that that's the sad part of the, this, this, this world that we're living in. Either the people aren't inspiring because they're sold out to the ideological position, or they don't believe it themselves, or they can't see it, or they're too afraid to say it. Mm-hmm. And then you end up with the point zero 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 one percent who says, I can see it, here's what it looks like, and whenever you see it, you long for it, and you're inspired by it, and you want to tell people about it. And I think we can do it, but we have to have people that quit calling the other side names and belittling them and dehumanizing them. For me, it starts with grace. It's like the benefit of the doubt. Right, and, and I think there has to be some degree of proximity to others to be able to embody that grace to some degree. You know, the, the more we are in a social media environment, it's really hard to overcome that othering. I mean, you can disengage from it and not participate, but we're talking about the iterative, you say, generative activity, and that is in the embodiment of being among the other, the, the person that you wouldn't traditionally see yourself spending time with, and, and learning who they are, and understanding where you, you sync up with them. Because for me, I think in the end, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I 
do like to think of myself as someone who offers a lot of grace. And so I just walk into situations knowing I'm going to find commonalities. That's just how I go about life. I think we can all get there, but it does take a lot of grace because when you're in that process, you will be <coughs> confronting things that are different from you. Sure. Right? But in that whole mix, there's a lot of similarities. You're just looking for that. If you look for it, I, I am certain you'll find it. That's been my life experience. Maybe a part of it is, it'd be a great blog post title, Disengaging the Reptile Monkey Brain. <laughs> and I, whenever you're saying that, I just kept on thinking about how I had this amazing, I do a morning meditation reading Richard Rohr's. Brandon and I read the same <clears throat> devotional. And what's it called? Yes, and. Yes, and dot, dot, dot. Yes. It has a picture of two adjacent doors that are open. Mm-hmm. So I, I love it. But anyway, so there was this one today that, you know, I, I don't want to be smug and act like I know it all, but most of the time when I read the ones that he's written, I'm like, yeah, I already agree with that, or I generally know it. But today it just blew my mind. The one today was talking about, you know, we use this word contemplation, And honestly, if you would have asked me before this, I probably would have said, well, contemplation is probably just stopping and considering things, which I think generally that's probably true. But I I like the way that he approached it. He said, contemplation is kind of a deeper level of prayer or meditation in which you actually start paying attention to the motivation or the emotion or the feeling behind why you think what you do or why your body reacts the way that it does. Mm -hmm. So rather than being a very impulsive person who reacts from the reptile monkey brain immediately, every time, whenever someone says something that you don't like, it's the ability to not immediately react, but contemplate why am I reacting so viscerally to this? Why right. why does what that person says evoke such a hostile, why, why does my heart start beating faster when I hear it? Mm-hmm. Why does my breath d- increase whenever I hear it? Yeah. And contemplation is actually, I think, a way of uncovering some of the maybe suppositions that we have about people, the ways that we believe things, or even maybe even the motivations being based on fear or based on xenophobia or, you know what I mean? It's like, there's a, like it's, it's uncovering. You're using the word why a lot. You come across the term like root cause analysis. There you go. Right. Sure. They're like, ask why five times. Uh, Right. And, I think it's actually a really it's good very wise. practice, and I think it's actually very contemplative. And if you if you practice that, I think y- you are in a contemplative space. No, I, I think that that's spot on. We exist in a culture that keeps us at the surface reacting. And, and not to go Richard Rohr overboard here, but I am a huge, huge Richard Rohr fan. Yeah. The first book that I ever read of his, and, and this is kind of a, he probably didn't say this verbatim, but this is the way that I take it and use it. In the very beginning of his book called Everything Belongs, he says, we are circumference people who live on the edges, mistaking, mistaking those edges for essence. And I'm like, that is 
profound and right on. We are people who exist on the circumference of life, believing that that is life, mistaking those edges as real life, as essence. Speak more to the, to the circumference. Yeah. So I think it's the rat race. It's the everyday living. It's reacting from the monkey brain. It's not considering or contemplating. It's just existing and running from point A to point B. And it's like, we think that that's real life. We think that that's the way that it ought to be. And very few people stop and say, wait a second, I've been running around this circle every day. Every day I wake up, every day I go to work, I feel drained, I feel exhausted, I feel worthless. I feel you, you fill in the blank. Because the whole point of it is, you know, and, and I think that it's summed up in the organization that he runs in Albuquerque, yes. which is the center of action and contemplation. It's like right. we, we become contemplative people who think about who we want to be, think about who we are, think about how we're reacting to situations, being grounded and centered as people of love and kindness and generosity, and you, you fill in the blank on that, toward an end, which is action. Right. Using those motives for greater purpose in the world. It, it's really interesting. The center of action and contemplation, at the surface, sounds like two <clears throat> totally different things action and contemplation. But in the end, I think what you're saying and what his intent is, is it's when you're truly being contemplative and asking yourself those whys, you get to a point where you understand the next step to take. Yeah. And it's much more patient and peaceful and wise decision-making, right? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of also. <laughs> Something <clears throat> this ties to, um, I believe, Merton influenced Richard Orr a great deal. Absolutely, yeah. There was an essay that I read while I was at Hanover, which yeah. is something Brandon and I share, Hanover College. What up? <laughs> High above the stately <laughs> river. What is the mascot of the Hanover? Panther. The Panther. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But... Um, there was an essay I read when I was there called uh, Events and Pseudo-Events. And it ties into your most recent newsletter article because Merton also decided at a time that it was controversial during the Vietnam War to stop following the news. Mm. And he made the point, the essence of his argument was that um, when you generate news so quickly, it's creating something that you've not had time to contemplate. You've not had time to see the tangents, the, you know, the things that are, that are tying into all these things. Yep. And the news that was coming out of Vietnam and because um, they, I mean, they broadcast the war. It wasn't as if he buried his ha head in a sand. I mean, he knew people in Vietnam sure. that he was writing to and corresponding with. And there's something about the way that news is manufactured, isn't it, that creates non-thinking mm. and non-contemplating. Mm. <laughs> so I started an, uh, a weekly newsletter, which is 
basically just a smaller version of what my blog was doing, except with this, it's 350 to 400 words. It asks a question at the end where people can contemplate it over the week. It's called Deep Calls to Deep. And it's on Substack. So how, how do people subscribe? To I'm that? not really sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Down a carrier, <laughs> Brandon Anderson. I, I mean, somehow, some way, if you find me on Facebook or Twitter, there will be a link probably somewhere. But I don't know what it is. So okay, you know what? You can't. Can I can't people look, email you. Look, Eric, I can't give people everything. People have to work for a few things in life. You know, this is we have what to. Can't be hidden. We, we, we can't be hidden. <laughs> how to contact Brandon? We, we've got to develop some people with some resilience here. Um, no, but so referring to your comment about the article, the premise of it was what we gaze upon, we become. I say, when whenever all we do is consume anger, we become angry. When we feast upon hatred, we become hateful. But conversely, whenever you meditate on peace, whenever you seek out love, those are the things that you become as well. And and I think it's pretty intuitive. It's just simple wisdom. These are from Proverbs that are, what, a couple thousand, few thousand years old. And it's been regurgitated a thousand different ways, like you are what you eat. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, I mean, you know, that's kind of the idea. But to your point, we've got to become wiser and deeper people. We have to become people who are not content with the circumference, but who long and hunger for essence. The, the critique of the news media, and th- this is the part where we mistake edges for essence, where we have to start critiquing the, edge, the edges that we're bumping into, is that we have to say out loud, these news organizations exist for profit. Say it out loud. These news organizations exist for profit. And as long as they can keep you angry or and, and or addicted, you'll continue to come back, and that's where they get their revenue. And... I think it was, I I was thinking about this when I was writing it the other day. I'm like, when was it exactly that I quit tuning into the news? Because I saw this in myself. So you want to talk about contemplative lifestyle, contemplative thinking. I don't know if I would have called it contemplative at that time, but I'm like, I'm becoming a really angry guy. Mm. I'm starting to hate people. I'm like, what, what's, oh man, everything that I'm consuming is telling me that guy's the bad guy. Mm Mm-hmm. I need to be upset about this. I need to be outraged about that. And I'm like, guess what? I'm going to turn off the tap. And all of a sudden, over time, it's like, I became more peaceful. (laughs) It actually is. I mean, with any other thing, we would identify it, right? Mm -hmm. It would be so much easier to see. But it's like we kind of automatically assume maybe because there's an addictive quality to being told, to reinforcing ideas that you already agree with on either side where you're like, Oh, this feels good. I like, I like the way of being self-righteous. I like the way of feeling holier than thou. I like the way of feeling better than the other guy. I like to call that guy a Neanderthal knuckle dragger, you know? And it's like, wow, did I just say that? Did I just talk about the height of dehumanization or the depths of dehumanization? But, but to your point, Tony, I don't think that everybody's there. I don't think that everybody's there, but I think that part of my call is to step back and 
just let's let's reconsider. Let's let's think about what we're doing. Let's think about what we're looking at and consuming. Let's think about what we're gazing upon. Let's think about what we're becoming. Are you satisfied with what you're becoming? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go through this long story, but I used to have certain beliefs and ideas 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And I'm not the same person that I was back then, but I did have a person tell me 25 years ago that was further along on this journey than I was, who didn't understand where he was at and how he could have afforded me a ton of grace in that moment. He said, people like you will never get it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, that's a dagger. That's a terrible thing to say. And the thing was, is that I eventually, quote unquote, got it, whatever that got is, and I've grown and changed and my heart's changed, but it's like he had already written me off as somebody who would always be the same person every single day without ever considering or contemplating anything outside of what I already believed. Like you're just a stereotype that will I'm the stereotype change. that will never change. To me, that's the sad part about the stuff that we're discussing is yeah. that there, there is, there's always opportunity. There's always potential. There's, there's all, I mean, you talk about, th- think about the people who are the vilest offenders that we know that have changed their lives for the greatest good. I, I can name, you know, a handful. I think there's possibility, man. But, but I, again, I think it, last thing I'll say is yeah. I think it goes back to, we are content with the lowest common denominator. We're, we are so content with operating at the level of dismissing, writing off. Where are the people that inspire? Mm-hmm. Where are the people that help people envision a different reality? Like whenever you talk about that, Tony, I think about a future where diverse groups of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from every culture, from every ethnic group, from every artistic uh, realm of society, from e- come together for a, a giant party where there's celebration and goodness and singing and celebration and feasting. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's... That's what I long for. And it's like, if I long for that in the future, why don't I bring it to here? Why don't I start doing it now? Right. You're here. Yeah. I'll drink to that. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. There we go. There we go. Uh, Waiter, another round. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wait, we're at your house. (laughs) I I just want to say, for for me, talking about Jesus Christ, it's... It's all about unconditional love, right? It's all about that. And then I think the deepest call within the Christian life is in reconciliation. Because in that act of unconditional love, you are going to walk into some situations where you have no idea how to love a person. And and reconciliation is that, like, I'm not going to call it a key necessarily, but it, it's that that extra spiritual calling to like, you've got to find a way like Christ found a way in both of those spiritual callings upon the Christian. It's about overcoming this gap. And a lot of time the gap is something that we've just like created in our mind. It's not really that far away. You've got to believe that you can cross that chasm. Because it, it's it's on you. If you're a Christian, it's on you to cross. You, you cannot 
ever be like, oh, that person's going to hell. I don't need to bother with them. You can never do that. That, that is not the call of a Christian, right? And if you're going to be a person who truly wants healing in this world, that, that is the life. I will live unconditionally loving. I will live finding ways to reconcile with those who I just don't understand. And, I, I mean, for me, staying in that space is the best thing for me. And it, it's, it's helped me a whole lot in my own personal journey. Yeah, because I had this experience probably like two months ago. I had always taken my quote-unquote spiritual health for granted mm. because maybe I always exercised regularly or I was always taking in generative activities or readings or practices or rhythms and so I had taken it for granted like that those are just things that will come naturally not not that those would come naturally but this feeling of being like spiritually healthy would just be there and the thing I found out is I I was in this place within the last couple of months where I had never been here before I felt I look back on it now and it had to be just signs of depression for sure mm -hmm. but I felt like I had this black hole right in the middle of my chest I felt like that I had a, a hand around my throat. I felt like that I could cry at any moment for no reason. And I thought, there's nothing provoking this. There's nothing instigating. There's no, you know, stimulation here that's causing this. It's yeah, just like, I can't to point thing. to one thing to like, well, just do this. And I, I, I kind of, and, and this isn't everybody, everybody's going to have their different ways of like looking at themselves and analyzing what they need to do best for themselves. But for me, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at saying, here's how I feel. So maybe here are some things that I need to do. So I thought, and this is going to be a good ending unless you guys yeah. have something else. But yeah. I started thinking about it. I thought I need, and I, I know I'm overusing this word, but I need generative things in my life. So I thought I'm going to start off each morning with a Richard Rohr daily meditation. Mm -hmm. And so it's like before I do anything else, well, true to be, if I'm going to be honest, while I'm making coffee, I've started stretching, <laughs> waiting for it. I'm just like, you know what? Don't get on your phone. Just stretch. So I'm stretching my you. legs. I'm stretch upper body, whatever. So, but then I get done and I go to, so I sit down before anything else and do a Richard Rohr daily yes. meditation. Yes, and yes, and and I I thought I need to finish each day with something that's not. Facebook, something that's not scrolling and triggering. Mm -hmm. So I introduced another book at the end of the day that is just, I think it's, I can't remember the name of it, but it's something about trees and it's a German author and it's just like, it's just good. It's like, it's peaceful. It's calming. It's, it's inspiring. But beyond that, you're reading about organisms that can live for hundreds of years and are intimately connected. Yeah. 
And it's just how cool is that? No, it's it's it. it I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, it, the hidden it, life of trees. The hidden life of trees. Oh my gosh! So yeah. I read that every night, and I sleep really well. But I started doing a few other things, and I hope Tony gets back down here before I tell the last one. But so one of the other things that I started doing is I recognized that I spend all of my day sitting in my car with work and driving everywhere, and I needed to get outside and breathe fresh air, and I needed to get my heart pumping and taking walks and getting the endorphins moving because there's something about getting outside. I mean, I'm not going to condemn people who just want to exercise inside, but it's like if you can exercise outside breathing in that crisp air and I started walking and I made a commitment to myself Eric I said I'm gonna walk and I'm not gonna think about the past I'm not going to think about the future I'm gonna be right here and I'm gonna listen to every single breath that I take and I'm gonna watch my feet hit the pavement Boom. and I'm just gonna be in here for this whole walk I'm not revisiting old wounds of the past. I'm not going to look forward to the future and worry about the anxiety of it. I just want to be here and just breathe and calm myself down. And so then beyond that, I just recently had the realization of (laughs) whenever I take a walk now, I take a bag with me, a trash bag or a small Walmart target bag. And I just pick up trash. (laughs) Yeah, man. And that's great. To me, I just think, I, I have this sense of not only being present, but I have this sense of being, like, accomplishing right. and just doing something good. And, and and funny story on the side. I'm glad you're back because i got to tell you this. But my son told me the other day, he said, for, can I say, make sure that people listen to this podcast because okay. there's some good stuff here. Yeah. So um, <laughs> my son said to me the other day, he's like, Dad, you need you need to let the newspaper know that you're picking up trash. (laughs) And I said, no. Oh, man. I said, no, because... I love that. This... I hate to say it in such, like... This is sacred. (laughs) This is sacred time. Right. This is for me, man. This is not for me getting noticed. This is for saving my soul. This is for me just feeling good about taking another breath and having another day. And if it benefits other people, then good. If it benefits the community, great. But it benefits I, I, your son. I need it. It benefits you. Yeah. So then the last thing, and I'll tell you this, yeah. um, man, overly emotional tonight. So the last thing that I started doing is I made a commitment that every single week I was going to encourage somebody else. Mm-hmm. And every single week I've been encouraging somebody. And this week it's you guys. Definitely. I just want to say this has been great. Th- the thing that you guys do here together or by yourselves is that you are inspiring people. To, to to just take a step, to, to feel like that there's hope, to feel like that there's a reason for living and, and, and existing another day, and that there's, you know, it, life doesn't have to be the way that you've always imagined it or the way that you've experienced it or the darkness that you've had over the last two months or one year or five years. You guys are giving people hope that, yes, you may have 
feelings that you have deep down in your heart, whether they're inherited, whether they're learned, it doesn't matter. But you guys are saying, here's the way that we've been through it. Here's light in the darkness. Here's hope on the other side. Even though we may still deal with the issues, here's how we've marched forward. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's giving words and life and meaning and testimony to people embodying it. People don't need more sermons. They need examples. They need you guys telling them. And so, Tony, thank you. <laughs> thank you for writing your book. Thank you for doing the podcast. And Eric, thank, thank you for taking, you know, I, I think about me walking and picking up trash, but thank you for doing what you do for getting bees to come to Columbus and <laughs> helping our environment here. And I mean, yeah. the things that you guys are doing make a difference. They matter. And I'm I'm humbled. Yeah, Brandon, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, th this is my last episode, and Tony, we're, you know, handing this off to you. And I know that this podcast is going to continue, and we yep. we've been, you know, in this in this space for six or seven months of transitioning, and it's been great having Brandon here to yep. encourage us and encourage you and. It's it's been a great episode. That's right. I'm really glad you came on. Thanks, Brandon. Well, Tony, that was a really good interview with Mr. Brandon Andrus. Yeah, that was a good evening. The spirit was flowing. I enjoy having come to know Brandon through you and uh his writing now. I'm still reading his book. That's on my nightstand. Mm -hmm. That hike with Brandon's coming up in just a, a couple of weeks. He'll, okay. he'll be over here planning. We're going to do about 25 miles down by Cumberland Falls. Great. Which that's your old stomping grounds, right? Yeah. That, I mean, my, my family homeland is uh, Lake Cumberland. Yeah. Um, near Russell County, Somerset. Uh, yeah. Um, Jabez actually is the Roberts homestead. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful yes. area. Yeah, a lot of good hiking, a lot of good boating. Well, we're on to uh, new new horizons for Tony Roberts. Yeah, and Eric Riddle. Uh, this is uh, the last recording session that is planned for Studio E. Um, we will be shifting our operation to uh, the Rippy Riddle, uh, uh, the Ripple. Uh, Ripple Studios. <laughs> Ripple Studio at the Roberts Homestead, Susan and Tony Roberts' basement. We will be having uh, our next steps. We know that in the season to come, um, which will be season four. Our season three kind of ran yeah. through two years. Yes. Season four will um, begin roughly, uh, we hope to have a trailer out about a month after you're hearing this mm -hmm. um, to explain more, but there will be a four-part series and there will be four of these. So basically 16 episode season mm -hmm. and they will be thematically arranged with guest co-hosts who uh, have expertise in in the given mm -hmm. topic and arena that we're 
that we're going to be interviewing people. You said art is one of them. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be the, the first one is advocacy, um, with Laura Pagliano, uh, the, uh, administrator for advocates for people with mental illness. Mm -hmm. The second is trauma Mm -hmm. who will be Laura Mosley from Madison, Indiana. She's, uh, um, a trauma expert has both lived experience and has served on boards that have mission to reach those who have experienced trauma, mm-hmm. mental health, and I hope to have a, uh, a best-selling author who I haven't approached yet. But okay. um, I think when you um, you just said mental health. Uh, uh, mental health in the church. Mental health in yes. the church. I'm sorry. Yes, mental health in the church. Um, hope to bring in a pastor and mental and and author, best-selling author, mm-hmm. as guest co-host, and then um, um, mental health and uh, art. And by art, I mean all various uh, recording arts, uh, visual arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably digital art, um, performance. Um, That's great. Yeah. So, who's the co-host for that one? This will be well. Um, I haven't asked the person, but I have reason to believe that we uh, have a good lead on a national figure. Nice in um, the realm of uh, recording uh, hip hop. Uh, actually, um, sweet. This is going to be uh, exciting times, Mm -hmm. exciting times. Um, And there'll be a little more video interface happening. Yes, I I should say, in fact, you will see previews and uh, synopses and highlights um, on uh, the Facebook page, which we already have up, Revealing Mm -hmm. Voices podcast community page. You can do a search on Facebook. Also, as we transition to a new website, we'll still have the domain revealingvoices.com, but it'll be a new look on yep. the website. And under the podcast, you'll see uh, some video as well as as audio. But the main um, program, the the podcast will still be an audio podcast, mm-hmm. the roughly 45 minutes to an hour long yep. audio and podcast. And I, I think it's a good time to thank people who donated back in the fall. Yes, absolutely. We want to thank all of you who, who da- donated to the Indiegogo campaign, the successful Indiegogo campaign. We couldn't have done it without you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to following along, Tony. Yeah, well. I know where to find you. The Ripple legacy continues, and uh, we will carry on. Yeah. We'll keep walking around the park and talking shop That's a right. bit, I'm sure, on occasion. That's right. No doubt. How about you? Yeah, so had an interesting opportunity at work. We had the Stability Network highlight on a couple of our episodes a couple of years well ago. Well represented in season two. Yeah, yeah, and there may be an opportunity for that organization to get involved with my workplace. Uh, it's still being worked out, but regardless of how that sorts out, I have been asked to speak at my workplace on the topic of mental health. And it was a, a former manager of mine who I did 
disclose my diagnosis to probably four and a half, five years ago, who recommended me as, as a speaker. So now I'm working with the HR department and we're going to craft a presentation to a, it's actually a, a women's networking, like affinity group mm-hmm. at Durrell. This invite just happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, it'll be in May, and so I'm, I'm crafty and trying to figure out what level of disclosure I will have with the greater organization. You know, I, I haven't mm-hmm. shared uh, with a lot of people, so I, I've got to figure out what, you know, strike the balance and figure out how much mm-hmm. to disclose. Regardless, awesome opportunity. Uh, I'm really glad that uh, the organization uh, has a group that's starting these kind of dialogues, so I'm glad to be advocating at work. Yeah, that very much is a direct outgrowth of the seeds planted from um, revealing voices and your involvement in Stability Network. Right. Yeah. Some of the guests we've had. Uh, and I'll reference the show, uh, no doubt yeah. about it. I, I, I told <clears throat> my manager, my former manager, mm-hmm. that, you know, integrating what we've mm-hmm. done here and using it as a uh, you know, place to point people if they want to hear on the topic of healing, because mm-hmm. um, this is a great resource, Tony. We've we've created something special. Well, it's it's been a gr- joy ride for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's, no, it's it's been a very formative experience for me, and I think um, you know behind the scenes, you you don't know, but there are days that that go by that you know we were we would be scheduled to record and. I would be having a really down day mental health wise and uh, more so me than, than Eric. I mean, honestly, because uh, I rapidly cycle. The program has given me purpose and mm-hmm. still does give me purpose and something to look forward to. I talked with my wife, Susan, today about things in my life that I'm cutting back on mm-hmm. because I have found that uh, – a few things that I can do well, and the podcast is one of them that that I want to in, invest myself into. As we all have to to be protective of our mental health, but especially those of us with mental illness, yeah. uh, um, you know, to to be very diligent about not overdoing it. Mm-hmm. And I would say that for you, you've got. Some exciting things to venture forth in. You've got another event with the pollinator folks. Yeah, the uh, Columbus Pollinator Committee. That's um, volunteer work I help lead. We uh, helped Columbus become a B city affiliate last year. We're in the middle of a fundraising campaign. $7,500 is our goal to get a, a $7,500 match from Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority. Uh, will match. And it, it's all to have a pollinator path that goes from our main pollinator park we've been working on called Blackwell Park and having it go about a mile and a half uh, a trail over to uh, the Columbus Community Garden. It Perfect is on place to walk with yeah. M- Briley. Oh, yeah. It, it's on the people trail that already exists, mm-hmm. but we're going to be adding some enhancements along the path and getting some signage and then at the community garden, we're going to be putting in some really nice raised beds uh, in partnership with a local community college called Ivy Tech, so they can run a, a pilot project and some um, gardening teaching, uh, like tutorial programs with local uh, teaching students. So that's really exciting. 
and we just put in an acre of native wildflower and grass seed to, to make a meadow just uh, right next to the community garden. So we're really excited to be able to be that close to people who are already, uh, you know, into gardening and for them to to see what we're up to and hopefully get a little more uh, awareness of the kind of projects that we're trying to inspire around town. We also just are wrapping up a Columbus Conservation Guidebook that will hopefully be able to be utilized for um, both public and private stakeholders to enhance native plant landscapes around the city and their homes and businesses. It's a lot of fun, and I'm really happy to have an avocation like that that I can dive into. Mm. And here in the spring, it's really wonderful to start seeing plants mm-hmm. peeping out of the ground. Yeah, we saw yeah. a lot of green driving over to Princeton, Indiana today. There were, well, not a lot of green, but the the signs that there is spring is Spring is a soon to spring. Yeah. It's, Tony's going to donate yeah. to the pollinator path campaign. <laughs> has confirmed. And I'm going to you, get get three, your checkbook ready, Susan. I'm going to get three <laughs> native plants for him to plant in his yard. For you, you say with a $50 donation, yes. you, you have uh, three native plants, uh, plant plugs. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll grow this year. You'll have flowers, no doubt. We'll so, Susan, up. if you haven't already cut that, Jack, <laughs> I've made a commitment. <laughs> we can put a link on the show notes. Yeah. Any of our guests. That would be fine. Look into what we're doing here. Sure. Because uh, it's, it's a big passion of mine, and it, it's good to see so many other people getting involved in it. And I'll put something on the uh, the Facebook podcast page. Yeah. Yeah. Tony came over tonight. I was out harvesting some na- native seed from last year's flowers that have been drying out for months now. Uh, blue vervain. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very pretty little mm-hmm. lavender bloom. I am going to be recording a prayer that will be played after the outro music fades out. So listen, in the place where we used to cut jokes and put outtakes and... yeah. It'll be Eric Sendoff. Yeah, it, it, it's actually going to be the prayer that I say most mornings that I, I've really said for probably the last 10 years or so. It's one of those that has just kind of evolved over time, and uh, it just really helps me set the day on course. And uh, I wanted to share that with you, Tony, and with our listeners. Thank you. Yeah. I've experienced a lot of healing on the show, Tony. Thank you. As have I. Uh, I hope our listeners have had some some growth and healing through uh, these 50 episodes, and uh, you're in really good hands with Mr. Tony E. Roberts here. Uh, we'll look forward to big things from you and check in from time to time. Yeah, thank you. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com.
Lord, I love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. The Lord, our God, is one. Help me to have the grace to accept what I can give and the gratitude to accept what I can receive. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for unconditional love. Thank you for mercy that triumphs over judgment. Thank you for faith that moves mountains. Thank you for hope that springs eternal. Thank you for joy on our darkest day. Lord, help me to be a good steward of the environment, a good neighbor to all. May we all be full of your Holy Spirit through Christ. Amen.